0: Lord, thank you for your voice that speaks. Pray that you'd breathe into these words your voice, your heart, your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So many wires here. It's alright. Bless you. So we're talking about listening to God. Oh, we're up already, are we? Um, we're talking about listening to God, and last week we talked about uh, how that uh, might look. And on that overhead uh, there I have uh, Abba Father, which is God. Uh, Abba is what a child calls God, and Father is what an adult might call God. And that's symbolic in itself of a growing relationship with God from... Dada, da, 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 thank you. Feed my, need, feed, my need, feed 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 my need, to what can I do to serve you? There should be a progression in our relationship with God between I want, I want, I want, I'm self centered, and you are Lord, here I am to serve you. Abba Father means that. And when we uh, come before God and we say, I've just clued in that God is actually the center of the universe and I'm not which is a humbling experience. We tend to then say, God, how can I serve you? But the way I come to God is recognizing that he is the center and I am not. And we usually meet that revelation at the cross where Jesus laid down his life for the sins of the world, for the rebellion of the world. Sin is really very simple. It's S-I-N-I in the center. And I can't be in the center and have a relationship with God. That's like a parent being ruled by their child. It doesn't work very well. So, in this uh, PowerPoint, uh, there's God is in the driving seat, as it were, both of the individual life and of the community. And to hear God... We've put it in reverse. H E A R, reversed. R A, whatever. It starts with relationship. Relationship with God that translates into action. Relationship and action drive our lives if we're going to hear God. We can't hear God if we don't have a relationship because you don't know what His voice sounds like. His promise to us is that He will speak and we will hear. So relationship is the foundation out of which there is action, which is a response. Because a relationship has response, give and take. We all know this, I'm just summarizing it. Out of that comes experience. Bless you, child. Bless you, bless you, bless you. (laughs) Um, Out of that comes experience, which is, when I take relationship, I have a response and I have action, there should be experience. And out of that experience is humility, because when we walk with God... One thing we can be sure is that He's going to be the one who's looking good. And we're going to be the one who's going to be loved deeply, but it's never going to be us that is going to be raised up in the wrong way. Humility is part of the byproduct of knowing Jesus as our Lord, as our friend. So we're talking this morning about hearing God individually and together. And so we're going to talk on a sort of double track. Uh, our individual experience and the church experience but I need to I wrote myself a reminder to say this to you because you know this already but I need to say this again because sometimes I will speak and somebody I've changed a lot and sometimes people say you made me feel so guilty um, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty you are guilty anyway so am I
1: but we've got to get over ourselves
0: if we're going to press in with God, we are guilty. But when God works in us, it's called conviction. Which if we, if we want to come in here and meet with one another and walk away and be unchanged, then just say, you made me feel guilty and walk off with self-righteousness. It's a real good way of going nowhere fast. So you can expect that God will convict convict us in our lives in order to draw us closer to himself. Us humans tend to try and motivate through guilt, which is a real bad way of doing it. It's a weak way of doing it. It's an easy way of doing it. It's easy to make guilt a weapon. It's kind of the lowest life form in the spiritual world. It's far easier, far better to draw into a love relationship with the living God and conviction will take place which will start saying, I think I need to pay attention to this. So conviction and guilt are important. Part of dysfunction, and this is something we need to pay pay attention to in ourselves, is if you feel overly guilty, you may have some issues about your own self-esteem that God wants to set you free from. If you feel shame, shame is about accusing me. Shame is about saying, you're a bad person. Shame is from the devil, shame is evil, shame is not of God. Jesus and God will never convict you that you are a bad person. They will say, I love you, but what you're doing needs to be addressed. And so the core identity issue from God will always, always, always be to every single one of us, I love you, but I really don't like what you're doing right now. There's a big, big difference. Now we've got that out the way. What we were talking about was uh, the the disciples, and particularly Peter, learning to hear God. And uh, last week we spent some time seeing just how incredibly bad Peter was at listening. And how he nevertheless, he, he always tried to talk God into doing something else, talk to Jesus into doing something else. But nevertheless, he was deeply loved, and he was in the end elevated into one of the leading disciples which is hopeful for the rest of us. God can handle us. And he certainly can handle you. And if he can love Peter and he can work with Peter, he can certainly work with you and me. That's the good news. And that is the promise of God, actually. You know, faith in God is about believing that he is able to do what I cannot do. But it's hard for us to get over ourselves, isn't it? So you have this bunch of people who Jesus has just been crucified and he's been resurrected and that sort of pretty much shocked them. They're in a culture that's Jewish by and large, strict laws of the Pharisees, you always read about, you know, on a Sunday, you can't, on a Sabbath you can't walk more, than. A, it, they measured it out. I walked outside Jerusalem, outside the Mount, uh, Mount of Olives and they're still to this day, they're flags. They have lines with flags. And I said, what are those? And they said, well, those are how far you can... It it shows the outer boundary of how far you can legally walk on the Sabbath. And the Mount of Olives where Jesus actually was resurrected was almost exactly on the boundary of uh, how far they could walk on on the Sabbath, you know, and not sin. So, if we have issues with rules, I'm sure Jesus just must have gone nuts. Anyway... This motley band of people had uh, followed Jesus and had been devastated by the fact that the promise that had started for them had just disintegrated into a violence that I don't think we know anything about. The the violence and brutality of the Romans, the violence and brutality of the crucifixion, the violence and brutality of Jesus' death was something uh, pretty horrific. And so they had lost hope, they had watched a friend, or a friend of theirs had been uh, killed, committed suicide, Judas. It's easy again to say, oh Judas, and depersonalize him, but he had hung around with them for a long time, and his despair would have touched them deeply. And they went back into the uh, temple and the synagogue and life was normal for the uh, religious leaders. They'd got rid of the upstart Jesus and now they'd get back and get on with being religious. But life wasn't normal. It just wasn't that clear what was happening. God was in the process of moving and about to turn their world upside down. What would you do if you learned this morning that God doesn't exist? There is no God. What difference would it make to anybody who lives with you, who's a friend of yours, who watches you from a distance? Would anybody know? See, we're talking about Jesus changing the world but he can't change the world until he changes the human heart. And he didn't come to set us up for heaven when we die. He sets he sent he came in order that we might live on earth in a manner that would point people to heaven. This is where the guilt and conviction thing comes in <laughs> that 's why I put the disclaimer in at the beginning. Gary, you needn't leave I'm you know man, you 're so guilty. be convicted. Um, there was that that story about the woman who was at the in Luke 7 that was read out this morning she was at a you know in the Middle East the houses were open so people could sort of walk in and walk out and do whatever and, and Simon the Pharisee had Jesus to dinner well, I, I, could illus- I could illustrate it but I won't I was invited to dinner here once by somebody who reminds me of that you know it was the proper thing to do they didn 't know me, <laughs> so anyway, I, um, they had this very respectable dinner for Jesus, and this woman comes in and with an alabaster jar of perfume and she weeps and gets hysterical or at least emotional, cries and washes his feet with her tears and wipes his feet. And the fragrance of the per- perfume is all over the house because fragrance comes from brokenness. It's the way it works. There was no fragrance coming from Simon other than arrogance. And Jesus, as we read, ended up you know, saying to him in the end, you know, he who has been forgiven much will love much. He who has been forgiven little will love little. Those disciples after the crucifixion were broken, broken, broken people because they had said to Jesus we will never leave you they all agreed with Peter Peter is the hit man for it but they had all agreed they slept while Jesus was praying before Gethsemane they ran away except for John and Mary and a few of the women and then Jesus had appeared and said go to Galilee and Galilee he basically recalled them as it were Where in your heart and life have you met with Jesus like that? You don't have to be a prostitute. Simon was actually more objectionable to Jesus than the woman was. And he was very respectable. But you can't change the world until your heart has changed. And your heart has to hear God saying there is nothing in you that is good enough to please me sin has permeated permeated everything in you how much have you been forgiven do you know that I'm not trying to evoke guilt at all I'm merely just saying how much have you been forgiven you. how much how deep has God's love gone for you If it hasn't gone very deep then you will think it's just something to watch and be appreciative of and it's a veneer on your life. It's not going to change anything. What's going to change is when you despair of yourself and you go, God, I can't do this. There's nothing in me that does when I'm on my own and when I'm like this I am awful. It's not about hating yourself. It's about absolutely honestly knowing I on my own cannot do it some of us get there easier than others some of us have to experience hell some of us we think our way through it but we don't get the heart and you can't come to God with your mind he wants all of me as we sang earlier But there's an interesting phrase that Paul uses, and Paul is a guy whose mind was pretty cool. And you remember when he came to the Damascus Road, he was like that woman. His mind took him to the place of concluding that God worked like this. And Jesus had to bounce him off his horse or whatever he was traveling on and say, why are you persecuting me? Your mind's led you to the wrong conclusion. And Paul later wrote in Ephesians, we, we know it well, I pray also. Well, he says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Ephesians 1 verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom and revelation both come from God. Do you know what revelation is? Revelation is receiving knowledge that you don't logically get to. You couldn't have worked it out. It's coming from God. It might be an awareness or something clicks or whatever, it, whatever language you want to use. It's God breathing into you something that you wouldn't conclude yourself. In fact, the fact that God loves us is a revelation because we can't get to feeling worthy from our position. There's too much evidence to the contrary. So God calls to us and says, you know how much I love you. I have placed a value on you. It's got nothing to do with you. How how valuable are you? If you were the only person in the world, you've heard this, Billy Graham would have said this. (laughs) Jesus would have died on a cross for you. That's your value. He didn't ask whether you like that or not, or think it's a good idea. He said, that's what I value you. What you do with it is your issue, but this is the value I place on you. You are my treasure. And Paul goes on, because he learnt this. He learnt this experientially. When he was blind. And God said, enough, Saul. He said, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. What does that mean? How do you have the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you may know? You normally think and then you know. But the biblical knowing is a combination of both. It's the Spirit of God working in the heart to help you to know and then your mind reflects on what you've just experienced. In the Western world, we've got it totally screwed up, and so we are totally screwed up. Cutting edge of the Gospel in in our day is the third world, because it's easier for them, I think, to access the experience real world. They don't have so many buffers. They have to deal with life. They can't protect themselves. Insulate with money. It's not a criticism. It's just an observation. So, This is good news, right? (laughs) What's good news? God has done what we cannot do. And God sent His Spirit to be Jesus to us today because Jesus was in one place as a human being in order to die on the cross for our sin. But He didn't die so that your sin would be forgiven. That's as useless as saying, you've got to have a shower every day just to be clean, but you don't go anywhere, you just stay in the washroom. It's basically you are set free, you are cleansed in order that you might be something else. And so those first few verses of chapters of Acts are intriguing as we think about listening to God, as we think about uh, relating to God, as we think about walking with God as a church community or Christian community, whatever we want to call it. We read Acts of the Apostles. It's also, you know, everybody who speaks on the Acts will always say, "Guess it wasn't called the Bible study of the Apostles. It wasn't called the thoughts of the Apostles, the opinions of the Apostles, the resolutions of the Apostles, the constitution of the Apostles. It was called the Acts of the Apostles. Why? Because they did stuff. If we actually acted on what we already know, fill in the blank. The first chapter of Acts is, is about Jesus beginning to appear, well appearing to the disciples, and then the church, the growth of the early church. God's promise in John fourteen twenty three was for them and for us. John fourteen twenty three. It's all about relationship and that's what I'm actually illustrating right now. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit make their home in you and me, which is a weird and wonderful truth. And Jesus is in the process of helping them get hold of that truth. Because rationally, these guys were lost. They had no clue what was coming. They had no clue what had hit them. The one thing they did know, the one thing they knew, was that three years ago they went to the synagogue and they slept through the talks. And they had this strict religious background. In fact, Peter might have actually been born in, in a Greek area and then come to Capernaum later. But nevertheless, that's aside. Um, The synagogue in Capernaum is smaller than this hallway. This hall—it's probably half the size. Or to the back row there, to the stage, is about the size. And it's it's a little bit narrower. It's got seats along the side, and that's where they would have met. Peter's house would have been just actually in the garden outside here. It's not very far away. But what they knew was that when Jesus walked along the shores of Capernaum and Galilee and met with them, they saw and experienced God like they had never seen or experienced Him before. And it absolutely intrigued them. It intrigued them so much that they basically left what they were doing to follow Him. Which leads me to another sort of conviction inducing moment which is do you think you're going to follow God on your terms do you think you're going to follow God and never have to get up and do anything if your if your spiritual life is dry stay tuned you just might be the issue not God The relationship with God the Father and with one another and with the Holy Spirit are the themes that wind through Acts. So let's look at Acts chapter 1 where Jesus, I'm just going to skim through a couple of things here. There's one word that comes up a lot in these first two chapters and it is together. It's interesting, but it's together, 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 together. So they were in chapter 1, verse... I should get glasses. On one occasion, verse 4, While he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He is saying to people who used to have, I should have brought one, a little lamp with oil in it. That you used to walk around, and, you know it was dark there. There wasn't electricity, and he was saying, "What I'm going to send you, as you were holding onto these little lamps flickering in the dark, I'm going to send you electricity." That's how radical it was, but they didn't know what to call it, so he called it the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God. So he said, "Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift, my father promised." So verse 6, so when they met together, they asked him because Jesus didn't mind questions. If you want to work out things with God, start asking questions. Respectability kills. Challenge, question, press in. That's what pressing in means. Question, question, question. It would be so refreshing to lead a Christian community where... One didn't have enough time in the day because people wanted to meet and say, I've got this issue. I can't remember where I've ever had a phone call like that. I want to work this out. I've got this issue. It really is this like being in a cruise ship, you know, make you feel nice, sing, sing some songs, you know, um, come back next week. I'm going to make you feel guilty this morning, Convicted repent we're getting there repentance is coming <laughs> anyway they ate together and they said Lord are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel they were thinking politically they were still getting it wrong no but he doesn't answer really helpfully does he it is not for you to know the times of dates the father has set by his own authority which is a good way of Jesus saving face and saying I don't know <laughs> He nearly sinned then, but he didn't quite. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after that, he disappeared. Just before Peter could say, but, he gone. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. They were angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you in heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. And they had to wait. And that's easy to do. And they were all together in the room. And they give the list of the name. and They all joined together constantly in prayer. Because they didn't know how long they were going to wait. And they were joined with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So I wonder how long it was before Peter had his bright idea. doesn't tell us. Luke's, I think, kind. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. add 20 people to this group or whatever, this is it. This is the beginning of Christianity. Look around you, would you believe in this bunch to spread the word to the whole world, change the universe? Well, they weren't much different. And Peter stood up and said, uh, Brothers, the scripture has to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago. And uh, basically he, he said, we have to replace Judas. Jesus actually hadn't said anything about that, by the way. He didn't say when you meet together and wait, get somebody else to fill Judas' place. You have a guy who stands up and says, well the scriptures have told us, we know from this, therefore we will do this. It was almost right. Because you can actually, as you know, justify anything from the scriptures. So it's it's a cool technique. And so Peter said, as is written in the Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be none, to, I'm not going to go into this. Um, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus went in and out among us. That was very astute. They wanted to have somebody elected who was a witness to Jesus, had experienced Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. For one of them must become a witness with us of his resurrection because they were talking about how are we going to be witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, they were trying to work it out, weren't they? Let's work this thing out. Call Jory and ask him to come and give a navigator's course and then work out how we're going to evangelize the world. Jesus told us. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I have an alpha group. In the so they proposed two men. Joseph called Bar-Saba. Bar, I don't understand why they just don't call one another what they called instead of. There's Jory, but we call him Ken. <laughs> why don't you just call him Ken then? We don't have to do with this. Anyway... And so they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. This is a good prayer. Show us uh, which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Jesus left to go where he belongs. (laughs) Full of grace and mercy, aren't they? Then they drew lots and the lot fell to Matthias. Now what were they doing? They were playing church and they were playing listening to God and they were playing. Oh Lord, we have decided that these two are the ones who are going to To uh, come and be the replacement for Judas and we're going to use lots which is the way we did it for the last 2,000 years and because we've got two and we're going to draw one we know we're getting an answer we're just going to ask you to bless whatever we've decided we're going to do it's how the church works it's how we work and we say we listen to God you go well you didn't really listen to God you manipulated God and then you're going to spiritualize the, the solution that you actually worked out before you talked to him Isn't that how we live our lives? It's this kind of lottery and, you know, we we play these games. Lord, if there's something in the mail tomorrow, that must be a sign. Now, of course God can do that. But, he was trying to move it up a bit. It's like uh, me saying to Ken, Ken, uh, if I, you know... No, what would it be? Let me try and think of an example. Lord, if Ken uh, doesn't call me by tomorrow, then I'm going to draw this conclusion. And God might go, why didn't you just talk to him? And that's what he's saying to these disciples. He said, God's going to talk to you. You don't have to do this lottery bit anymore. I came that you might have relationship with me and conversation with me, but... The new part of it is, I'm going to speak and you might listen. (laughs) This is the novel part. Peter couldn't handle that. Wait in Jerusalem? Remember David? David was anointed. Who was he anointed by? Saul or Samuel? He was anointed. Leader of Israel. Shepherd boy. Lots of sermons on that, right? Fourteen years later, he becomes king. Fourteen years. We get irritated if McDonald's takes five minutes for the burger. Fourteen years. Today is Pentecost, I believe, which is wonderful. day when the Spirit was poured out over the disciples. Six weeks later, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. Six weeks. What do you think they did for six weeks? Peter must have been out of his skull. I'm sure they talked about what had happened. They talked and talked and talked and prayed and prayed and... And then it all blew open. I noticed something in some of the significant moments of my life, some of which I will not talk about, but some of the others... um, when I was saying, Lord, should I go to, to study in England or should I uh, go into the ministry? Six weeks is a sign... And actually coming to Canada, six weeks. From the time that Chris Muller phoned to eventually saying yes, is six weeks. And I found that in many of those major moments, those two weeks was anxious. Oh, I got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. And then it was sort of fed up to hell with it. Very spiritual and the last two weeks the sort of fifth and sixth weeks I was in a place of going you know I can hear you now I can take it or leave it or I'm more open you see God is about process God is not about decision he could have told them Jesus could have told them the answer before he left but they had some stuff they had to do and God is about process process Not about information. It's who we become that he's concerned about, not the knowledge you know. And so, six weeks later, the Holy Spirit fell and they spoke in tongues and they spoke these languages that other people around them understood. And they were all utterly amazed, and people thought they were drunk. And they said, What does this mean? another moment of conviction brothers and sisters when did you last come before God or anybody else and ask that question what does this mean or do you have everything so wrapped up that you dismiss anything that comes into your comfort zone and justify it with all kinds of wonderful somersaults that really are showing you're just scared. When did you last say, what does this mean? There are two questions in this first second chapter. The one is, what does this mean? And then Peter gets up and for once he actually really gets it together and the Holy Spirit has done something in him and he gives a very powerful discussion of what that all meant. He answered the question, and at the end of his dissertation or his discussion, he says in verse thirty six Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They felt guilty, they were convicted. So they all stoned him to death and gone on with their lives, right? right. No. <laughs> Leoba, pay attention only been talking for half an hour he said brothers what shall we do and he said repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit what does this mean and what shall I do (coughs) repent repent means change your mind about the way you're living, and change your mind about God. And say, God, I need you. Please help me. Forgive me where I have done my own thing, and help me to change. Repentance is something I have to do for myself. Nobody else can do it for me. Repentance is a change of attitude and change of direction. It's not about getting it all together. It's not about, I've repented, now I'm perfect. It's just, I found a place where I can deal with all my, fill in the blank. I'm reformed. I'm not going to use any bad language. Repent is changing your mind and saying yes to God. Please help me become what I cannot become myself. And then they were baptized, because baptism is into a community. It's into Jesus, but it's into a community. There's an individual response and then there's a communal response. Because we cannot do this stuff together. In fact, if you read those scriptures carefully, you will notice that when Peter stands up in verse 15 of chapter 1, in those days Peter stood up among the believers and said, and then he came up with his bright idea about voting. After uh, the Holy Spirit came up, It came down in verse 14 of chapter 2, Then Peter stood up with the eleven. I don't think that's just a casual phrase. It's about, you're not alone. And we don't have time, as usual. But what happened after Pentecost, the release of the power of the Spirit... They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer. We need balance in our lives. Too much teaching, too much prayer, too much fellowship. They all need to be there. They're all components. The only thing that you don't hear is that they all went off on their own and they worked it out for themselves. The other word for that in our culture is just pride. That's all. We're a proud bunch. We're a private bunch. we get back to a bunch in a minute. So, everyone was filled with awe because God was doing some mighty things among them. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. How do you learn to love if you don't have people you don't like? How do you learn patience if you don't find people irritating? How do you learn long-suffering if you don't... It's the context that's going to teach all the stuff that is good. And why so many of us never grow up is because we actually never press in with some of these difficult things. Instead, every time there's a challenge, we spiritualize it and work out how to leave the place of action so we can actually stay as we are. And that is why we're so immature. And that's why the Christian witness in places like Port Alberni is so absolutely pathetic. Do you know how many Bible studies people, Christians go to in this valley? Do you know how long they've been going to Bible studies? I mean, wait in Jerusalem, die in Jerusalem, be buried in Jerusalem, to hell with the world. Where did all that come from? I wasn't... Really? It's entertain me, amuse me, look after me, give me my friends. You know what small groups should be? They should be equipping places where you get off your butt and you go out there and you do stuff in the name of Jesus. How much bloody information do we need about God before we actually do anything? Jericho Road is about moving, moving, moving. There are no groups that sit there forever. They tense. They move.
1: You get equipped or you go somewhere else, there are lots
0: of other places you can go to in this valley. I'll offend you. Aren't you sick and tired of it? It's so boring. What time are we having the meeting, dear? And we go on forever and ever. What page? Oh, isn't it lovely what they did back then? Does anyone want more? Well, lighten up, you know. Take yourself a little bit less seriously, alright? You're not so precious, for goodness sake. And so they met every day and they, they fellowshiped together. They had everything in common. That is a good one. I won't even go into that. I could spend half an hour on that. I'll love you as long as I can take you for coffee and maybe a meal, but that's it. You see... Brothers and sisters, with all seriousness, this is where God comes in power. We want the Holy Spirit in this church. We need to meet together. We need to fellowship together. We need to have teaching together. We need to worship together. We need to share resources together. We need to meet people's needs. We need to make sacrifices. We need to love in ways we haven't experienced before. That means going into your time account and your bank account. It means believing God for provision, not just for me, but for you. It means getting real on the ground. It means, if you have a word from God for me, then show me a word from God in the tangible as well. Don't just spiritualize. See how they love one another means nobody is with a need that's not being met. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread. And guess what? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. As they were filled with the presence of God and the the love of God and the power of God, that spilled out and attracted others. People are sick and tired of hearing about Jesus. They want to see Him. And they'll see Him as we, at the end of the day, kneel before Him, break the alabaster jar and say, Oh God, Bless you that you have loved me. Thank you so much. And if you're too proud for that, then you're not going to be much use anyway. Because your pride will keep you in prison for the rest of your life. And probably a lot of other people too. Quickly, 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 quickly. Movie time. Blessed are those who strengthen it in you who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. Which means, pilgrimage is what? Greek for? try again a journey moving who looks so puzzled what's that? it's the early church it's the early church it's a bunch they met together I told you you see I hadn't lost the way I knew where I was going it's a bunch why did Jesus say I'm the vine you are the branches and they produce grapes grapes don't come one at a time if they do you've got a problem they come in bunches Stop doing it on your own. You can't do it on your own. Together, I can't go back now, I don't know how to do it. So, what happened to those disciples? What's John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, die, have eternal life. It's a promise of God. If you want to have your life changed, what should Jesus do? He said, go and wait in Jerusalem, and I promise you I will send the Holy Spirit. They spent six weeks praying together and waiting together on a promise that's from Jesus. Andrew, you better be paying attention, this is really important. <laughs> a promise of Jesus for you. You see, the promise comes and then the growth. What supports the growth are the promises of God. If you want to see growth in your life, start actually claiming some of the promises of God. You see, if you don't have promises, what will happen to that vine? It will actually fall to the ground and all the fruit will get eaten by the slugs, which we used to call Satan a long time ago in this place. You need supports, and the supports are the promises of God. If you don't know the promises of God, then guess what? You're going to trust in what? Your feelings and your circumstances. Good luck. Goodbye. Good night. It's over. We are flicked backwards and forwards by circumstances and emotions. Why was the church so great? Because they were being thrown to the lions and saying, I believe in God, and I'm out of here. In our culture, it rains and we're being persecuted. Okay, I'm just getting some perspective. John 1.12, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you receive Jesus, believe in his name, you are a child of God. That's a promise. Hang yourself on it. It's your identity in his promise, not in how you feel. I just feel like a miserable little vine, twisting round and twisting round. Not very divine. How's that? I'm nearly finished. I'm just trying to keep you awake. There's another promise. You see, you're hanging on those two promises, but there's always another one. And if you if you go through the scriptures, there are thousands of promises. And our function, why we do worship, and why we get together, is to remind each other, or we should be reminding each other of the promises. And the hope that is in the promises from God. So what's that promise? So, well, there's... "I will be with you always." Matthew 28:20. 20. "I will be with you always." That means a promise from Jesus, "I will be with you always." What does that mean? It means I will never leave you. It means I will always be with you, Which means I'm always with you. Which means I'm always with you. So what's that like? That's the experience. I need to press into. Jesus, if you are always with me, then you are here now. Irrespective of my circumstances, irrespective of how I feel, irrespective of anything. That's a promise. And there's one more promise. Uh, the counsel of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. John fourteen twenty-six. So you get that, you get some more growth. And with more growth, you get more fruit. Really difficult. That's exciting. That's what Pentecost is about. It comes out of being rooted. It comes out of Jesus working in our lives. It comes out of his promises. It's not Peter saying, Lord, I have a good idea. It's Peter, Jesus saying, wait, obey, and experience. That's it. So the only thing that you can't go away with today is saying you've got nothing to do. You can't say, I can't help it. You can't say, well, God, you know, is not there for me. Because that's your issue, not his. He's already said he's here. So the only response you have is, I don't care, I'm doing it my way, which is, it takes more faith than believing in Jesus. Or, you go, what does this mean? What can I do? What are you saying to me today, Lord? The first thing he's saying, and he you know, when I see Michelle, and she's not here so I can embarrass her. When I see Michelle, every single time I see Carmen or Michelle, they know this. They walk in the door and I just go, so you've forgotten something. I insist, always insist, they have to give their father a hug because they love their father so much. I'm modeling to them The love of the Father, and I can only understand this emotion coming up because that's what God's saying to you as well. I long, I long, I long for you to be embraced by me, and me to be embrace you. This is not a joke. This is not words. This is your life. And half of us are so emotionally crippled, because we don't know that love. It is not teasing, it is not just some fancy theological stuff, it's core, the eyes of our hearts. We are so desperately screwed up. You know it and I know it. And we're so proud and we're so hidden and we're so private and we're so hurting and we're so broken. And Jesus says, you know, there's a brokenness that releases fragrance. And there's a brokenness that is poison. Brokenness away from me is death. Brokenness with me is a new beginning. God our Father, thank you so much for your Spirit that meets us today, so many years after Jerusalem. Thank you that your love is the same today, that just as you embraced Peter on that shore of Galilee when he was broken, you embrace us. Each one of us, you call us by name. Thank you that your reminder to us today is that because you rose and you poured out your spirit, there is nothing that can separate us from your love. Nothing. That you have promised that you will be with us. And that even though we might not see, and we might not understand, the one thing we hear this morning is your promise is faithful. And so we pray right now that your spirit will just minister to us the truth of your love for us. However you want to do that. What we're going to do is we're just going to sing three songs. And each song focuses on sort of different parts of what God is about. I can find it. And the purpose of doing this is to give us some time. It's really like our time of prayer, but it's a time in worship. And I want to encourage you, because it made a huge difference to me at some point in my life. Begin to begin to, to approach Jesus from a place of generosity and abundance. Not that he's, you know, not from, oh, he's, he doesn't like me, but from that place of, think of your children if that helps, from a place of his incredibly deep delight in you. I can't find that other book. That one. His deep delight in you, that he actually, you are his treasure. I mean, deeply so. More so. Whatever you are aware of this morning, He wants you to know more. Like your knowledge of being His treasure is okay, but there's more. He's just saying that you're actually more precious than that. You haven't got it yet. And the invitation is, let me expand your sense of my love for you. So we come to him and say, here I am, Lord. That's our first song. The second song is Break Dividing Walls, which is a nice song to sing. And it's a powerful song, but it's also a song of starting to say, Lord, where are there people around me that are are walls that I need to let down? And again, he doesn't accuse you. He just convicts you, which says you need to let these down. Well, I don't want to. Well, invite me to help you. He's really not interested in your opinion. I was listening to somebody speaking the other day. He said, I'm not interested in your opinion. and I'm not interested in my opinion. What's God's opinion? He can take down walls. He can heal. If we give him a chance. And then the last one is an invitation for the Holy Spirit to give us the revelations we don't have. Alright? Alright, All right, Leoba.